0: You know, this is a time of year, and early in the morning a lot, you step out, you're getting ready to go to work, or you're getting in your car, maybe you go out to your barn or wherever it is you go, and you hear something in the sky. What are you laughing at, Val? Am I not doing that right? Now I gotta tell you the difference between a goose and a duck. No, are <laughs> you Ducks go quack. Okay. You know when geese fly south or wherever they're going, they always fly in a group. And they fly in a V shaped formation. The goose in front is doing a hundred percent of the work. What's interesting is the two goose right, geese right behind the two gooses, no two geese right behind him are only working at about 85% of energy and the two geese behind those geese are working about 85% of the energy of the ones in front of them or about 70% of the energy of the lead goose when the geese are working together this is called synergy synchronized energy If a goose is injured, two geese will fly down with it for protection and stay with that bird until it can either fly again or dies. Then they'll join another flock. As a church, we can learn a lot from geese. (laughs) First of all, even though the divorce rate in the church is 50%, unfortunately, geese mate for life. And I'll just tell you, there's no such thing as a gay goose. So, I'm sorry, but there is not, okay? As they fly, the honking you hear are the geese in the back encouraging the leader, keep on, keep on, keep on, honk, keep on. And when the lead goose needs a rest after an exhausting flight... You watch that V, it'll change like this. It'll move over, and the V will be over here. And that goose will drop back, and the other, another goose will step up and take the lead. <clears throat> As I said, we can take a lesson. Did you know that, the, that a flock of geese can fly 71% further than just a goose by himself? So this honking that they do is this synergy that they have means they can go a lot longer and a lot farther when they do that. You know, we're supposed to be led by the Lord Jesus. And he built these geese to do this. He's kind of their unseen leader. But there is a leader. There is a goose leader. And there always needs to be leaders among men. However, the leader can occasionally get tired or exhausted, and he needs help. That's why God ordained leaders as a plurality of elders in a church, not a one-man ministry. A plurality of elders. God ordained elders, called elders to serve as elders as a plurality, because one man cannot do it all. As just as God puts it into the geese to work together, he designed the church to do the same thing. And when the strength of the church is structured correctly, there's synergy. The honking geese are encouraging their elder. They're honking, honking, and what they're really saying to the goose is keep on, keep on, keep on. Let me ask you a question. You think any of those geese are complaining at that lead goose? They better not. He's their wind draft. If they changed their God-given routine, they wouldn't work together. You've seen during the series of, that we've been doing here on the nature of the church, the effectiveness of using many gifted people in the church. I, in, a, in an 11-week series, I will have only spoken four times. <clears throat> a dear saint came up to me at coffee time today and said I woke up at midnight last night and I all of a sudden I realized John is setting us up so he can leave <laughs> I said as much as some people might like that I had no intention of leaving I'm trying to show how important it is to use all of the giftedness of the church to be a plurality to be no one above another. We've been doing a study through Alex Strauch's book called Biblical Eldership, and <clears throat> we've been meeting on Monday night. We're pretty much done with the book. But the thing that we all learned out of that by going through that is the importance of giftedness and how how we minister to the church, how Being an elder or a pastor, call it what you want, is not a job. It's a calling. And if God has called you to do it, and he has called you to be a person who can be an example, who can also be a team leader or team player, who also can be a part of a band of brothers that work together because God has called them to shepherd his flock, not ours. But we are to love them as much as he does. Interesting, isn't it? Now I want you to turn to uh, Ephesians 5 for a minute. Verse 22 through the end of the chapter. By the way, this morning, after the baptism, I was just standing down here. It was funny. I wasn't sure how the sermon went over. <laughs> but people kept coming up to my ear and going, honk, honk. <laughs> I said, thank you. You need to do it to all the elders. Verse 22. Now, you're going to probably wonder why in the world is he reading this passage having to do with the nature of the church. But you will see in a minute. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Did you hear that, Kathleen? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. "...husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she would be holy and without blame. In the same way, husbands should love their wives... As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. And let each wife see that she respects her husband. <clears throat> now, all the angels just left and all the feminists left with them. <clears throat> Sorry, but I've got to preach this the way it is. This passage may confuse you a little bit about why in the world are you talking about the church by preaching about marriage? Because this usually is a passage we read at a wedding, isn't it? Or we, I might use it in marriage counseling. But there's a mystery here. There's a mystery in this passage. In verse 32, Paul says, this is a great mystery. In other words, when you're looking at a husband and wife, you're looking at something that is really revealing something else. Christ and the church. And notice... That in each comment about the roles of the husband and wife, he likens it to Christ and the church. The reason for this is that marriage is where Christ and His bride are really revealed. That's where they're really revealed. Next week we're going to look at the victorious triumph of the bride in the Book of Revelation, but and that will be our last thing on the nature of the Christ of the nature of the church. But as you reread this passage and read it again, consider what's being said here to men and women especially husbands and wives. I want to stop here for a minute and say something to you ladies who are married or widowed but have been married or are married. You have such a thrilling privilege. Did you ever think about it? You have a thrilling privilege. You get to display the church to God and to us. Isn't that thrilling? God wants your role in your marriage to be a picture of the church and its submission to Christ. Obviously, it's not written to women alone, though. It's written to men to display themselves as a Christ figure and that the men in our posture in marriage should be that of Jesus commanding us to love our wives like he loves the church. But the passage also instructs all of us as a church that we have to recognize and obey leaders in the church as well. He's ordained men in the church, and he expects those men to be followed. Now, I'll talk about that in a minute, but there's two words in this passage that women don't usually like. A lot of us don't like it. It's the word submit. Ooh, sticks right here. And respect. Now, there are two words in the Greek. The word submit is the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to subordinate yourself and obey someone else. Ladies, I'm just telling you what it says. Please don't throw anything. Or if you do, make them soft objects. you got to have to understand that These two words apply to both women in church, citizens in government, employees and employers, church members to their leaders. And here's the problem. Your leaders are sinners. (laughs) We're still sinners, and we can't do this perfectly. Christ can, but we can't. So we need your prayer. We need your honk. Honk, honk. Hmm? Oh, she's honking? Okay. Look at Ephesians 5.23, which you got your Bible open there. The husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is its Savior. Now, you see this idea of Christ being the head of the church, the husband's head of the wife. The word submit is a voluntary thing. It is not necessarily a command. It is a voluntary thing. This is the way you demonstrate the church, based on the fact that your submission to your husband is really worthy of all this submission. Right? Wrong. (laughs) No. You're submitting to the fact that God appoints authorities. And you're submitting, what did he say in the first verse? As to the Lord. Now, you have to understand what, what, this, is, what this is really saying, that it is not talking about slavish, fearful obedience. Hopefully you have a husband who loves you. But in First Peter three one it says, "Wives submit to your husband, even if they don't obey the word of God, that they be one without a word from you." I'm going to tell you something, ladies. That's a hard job. I, I'm glad I'm not a woman, and and don't get me wrong. I, I'm you know I'm just telling you that that's got to be hard. It had to be hard for Sarah to say to to lie for Abraham about being his sister when she was really his wife, but she did it. Hmm. And God honored her faith and protected her. Now, what he's really saying here, this voluntary submissiveness is really submissiveness to Christ himself. My wife and I were interviewed one time uh, by a pastor in a church. We were going as a family or a couple that kind of had it all together. (laughs) You know that's not true. But this pastor had us up there, and Kathleen's sitting to my right, and, and I'm sitting here, and the pastor's over there, and he's interviewing us like we were on a talk show. And he said to Kathleen, we were talking and she goes, submission. I love that word, submission. It doesn't mean what people think it does. It means protection. This is what he told, she told him. He goes, yeah, but Kathleen, I've got to ask you this question. When John acts like a jerk face, and he looked at me and said, and I know you do sometimes, how do you submit to him? Then, well, she took her hand. I thought she was giving me a karate chop. <laughs> she took her hand and put it like this right under my neck. And she says, God is in his heart. I'm submitting to that. I don't like this stuff up here. I see too much when he's acting like a jerk face. Now, she loves me to death, and, and she's the best wife I've ever known in of any wives. I, not the best wife I ever had because I only not have one. Good Lord, man, I'm blowing it up here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <gasps> the word respect, though, is a different word. And you're not going to like this one either. Phobeo. Phobeo. It's where we get our word phobia or fear. But it doesn't mean mm, that kind of fear. It means Respect. Reverence, understanding, protection. So, you have to understand why, how God feels about God-given authority and when you rebel against it. David, even though he had already been anointed by God as the king, Saul was still around. He refused to rebel against Saul. Ran from him. He didn't want him to kill him, but he he ran for him. But he respected the position that Saul was in. Saul didn't deserve respect, but David gave it to him. Paul repented at a statement that he made at a high priest in the book of Acts. And someone said, you talk to a high priest that way? And he goes, I didn't know he was a high priest. That's wrong, for thou shalt not speak evil against your leaders, he says. Quote of Scripture. Here's the worst example. Dathan and Korah rebelled against Moses' authority, and God just dropped them alive in hell. So watch out. I'm kidding. Glad he doesn't do that today. The posture of the church then... Is submissiveness. Not just women. The posture of the whole church is submissiveness. To the elders, but to Christ first. And to Christ through the elders. And to your employer, which is really hard. I know this is hard sometimes. To submit to your employer when you don't have a good one. Especially if it's a heathen. Or to submit to... Our government, aren't we doing this now that we don't have Hillary in there? <clears throat> that would have been hard to submit to. Even children to parents. Kids, Ephesians 6.1, first thing we taught our kids, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is right. This is right. Did you hear me? <laughs> this is right. And they, they go, okay, I get it already. <laughs> but it is right. Because you could say it's right to submit to anybody in authority. It's interesting what Paul says about elders who do a good job. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 5, 16, Let the elders who rule well. Yes, I'm sorry, it's used the word rule. I don't like it any better than you, but you're supposed to rule. Isn't that right, Bob? He's in a church full of elders, so I know that. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Double honor, well, what does that mean? Well, you should honor them anyway, it says, but double honor is pay them. Then it tells the elders, don't do it for pay. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of a, don't do it for filthy lucre, it says in the the King James, which means just for the money. But the writer of Hebrews takes on another posture for the church. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and this is an interesting passage. It says, Obey your elders and your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as for those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. That would be no advantage to you. I'm glad as a preacher I didn't write that Bible. <laughs> Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is the word agape. Did you know that there's no place in the Bible where a wife is told to agape her husband? She's told to phileo him, and that doesn't mean phileo him like a fish. It means to love him with great affection but the, only the husband and only the elders are told to express agape love. What is it? Unconditional. Here's what it means. You love the person whether they love you back and you love them even if they're not respecting you. Paul order. Imperfection sometimes fights against that. Elders are to love the flock the way Jesus loved because it's his flock. And when I put out a little thing this week or so to the elders in this church about a document that I wrote So I said are you sure you want to be an elder and it talked about some of the things required of elders and in that I made a statement remember being an elder is not a job it's a calling God calls men to this position so it's not well I think I could do that job And unfortunately, there's too many people ordained or recognized as elders who are accepted like, oh, he's a good guy, let's make him an elder. Let's make him a deacon. Without vetting that person to make sure that they really are qualified. Listen, the Bible instructs us to have elders and deacons. And it's not something that he gives us a choice about. But we don't just throw anybody into the job. Here's the thing that, that makes me shake in my boots. I'm going to have to stand before God. And Rod is going to have to stand before God. And Jason is going to have to stand before God. And Mike's going to have to stand before God. And Kevin's going to have to stand before God. And anybody else in this room who's an elder, and you deacons too, you don't get out of this. <laughs> and give an account to Jesus Christ, the King about how we did what he gave us to do. Mike, did that scare you a little bit? It makes me uh, toe the line a lot more. <laughs> Amen. And me too. But that's not the reason I told the line. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I, I agree with you, but Remember Ephesians five twenty six and 27, it says we elders are involved in what Jesus is doing in his church. That is sanctifying his bride, washing her with the water of the war. To present the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. That's not just His job. That's our job. In fact, if you lead somebody to the Lord, I don't care who you are, you have not done yet. If you walk away, put a notch on your Bible, and say, i got another person saved. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. You need to disciple that person. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Look, Lord, I led 50 people to the Lord. How many of them are still walking with Him? Well, that's not my responsibility. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's only possible to participate in this when we preach faithfully and teach faithfully only the Word of God without compromise. And that we preach grace, not law. That we preach grace, not works. That we preach grace that brings us to salvation, the grace that keeps us in salvation and the grace that will eventually bring us home to the glory of salvation. So you might be sitting there and go, wow, how can I be a part of this church? This sounds good. Well, I want to tell you something. It doesn't just happen. You don't walk up and say, that's a pretty nice church. I think I'd like to be a part of that church. Something else has to happen first. We're not a club of people who like the idea of working together to do good works. (laughs) And we're not an organization formed for the good of all mankind. We are a body. A body attached to a head. The head is Jesus. And we seek to glorify Him. I'm just a mouthpiece up here. I'm nobody. But He's everything. Make much of Him don't say, oh, we've got a good pastor over there. Please, I don't care if you say that or not. I hope you believe that. But here's the thing. I'm not the one you should be talking about. People come to me all the time and say, you know what? That Ramsey Creek, I've heard a lot of good things about that. I heard you guys put in elders. That's biblical. I've had other pastors say this to me. And I've had them say, and I just said, you know what? It's just the Lord. He's just led us through this. There's a lot of pl- ways we need to improve, certainly. There are a lot of ways I need to improve, but the- here's the thing. When you come to Jesus and bow before him, it's not your free will to come here and join the church. Well, he's a nice guy. Let's take him in. Take her in. It's not that way. We have to first come to the understanding that this word submission is not just something God is playing with. It is you have to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to come to the place where you really understand that you're going to be part of a holy body. Well, those people don't act very holy. Ah, That doesn't matter. They're justified in the eyes of God. So, You've got to be attached to the head. You've got to be born of God in order to believe in Jesus or to be part of Jesus. But listen to the grace that God offers you. I would like you to turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm getting kind of wired here, so I stepped into uh, uh Paul Aiken's Sunday school class to give him something and Paul Stone said, hey, you're all wired up. I said, yeah, you better hope I stay that way. <laughs> and I wish I had enough energy to stay that way. Hebrews 2.9 through 2.11. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste Death for everyone. For it was fitting for him that he, for whom all things exist and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. That's God's goal for you. To bring you to glory. To make the author and captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Listen, if we don't preach the cross, we're not preaching Christ. But here's my favorite part of this section. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, have all the same one source or father, therefore he is not ashamed to call us brothers. What? James, do you realize Jesus calls you brother? Do you, Mike? Walt, you know that Jesus calls you brother. Why would he ever do that? Are you? Do you look like him? Do you act like him? And yet he calls you brother because it's he who did the sanctifying, and us who are being sanctified. And because of that, he looks to the Father, and the Father gave us to him, and he says, "Now they're my brothers, many sons in glory." Hallelujah! That's what his goal is for us. <laughs> And by the way, sisters he's calling you sister too i 'm sorry, I wasn't trying to leave you out. You know, I was at a church one time I was preaching and uh, I was sitting and listening to a preacher, and he forgot and got up there now, brethren and cistern. and i don 't think that's what he really meant to say, <laughs> so I thought a cistern was a deep well, but anyway, do you see the grace of God here though? He tasted death now here 's what that means. it does not mean that <laughs> He died for you, and now you got to be religious and ceremonial and and a good little Christian because I mean you should obey. Don't get me wrong, but you aren't going to do it perfectly. And what it means is this: that Romans eight one says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. Why? Because he tasted your death already. The Father has poured it out all on Him. There's nothing left for you to bear. Oh, you might go through life and say, you know, the biggest problem I have working with Christians is too many Christians get saved and think they have to earn their salvation after that. Once you're saved, that's it. It's a gift. And you're not going to be able to do any better to improve on what Christ did for you than you were the day before you got it. But you can follow him and display him, but it's still not you doing it. It's, it's amazing. You know, he took the last drop of what we deserve on that cross. Do you know that about him for yourself? I'm, I'm, I know, uh, you know, little Avonlea said he died for us. Did you hear what else she said? And for me. That's the difference. Salvation, you know. I used to talk to kids at camp. What did Jesus do for? He died for our sins. That's not salvation. It's when you say he died for my sins. That's salvation, right? When you make it personal. Now, he rose again from his death to fully justify us with God. In Romans four twenty through twenty five, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. No distrust in Abraham made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that what God was able to do, he what he that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake, but for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up because of our justification. And 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For by man came death and by man came resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die. And if that's the only place you stay, I just want to say this to you. Born once, you die twice. Born twice, you only die once. Amen. I didn't come up with that, by the way. I heard that from David Jeremiah. You've got to come to the foot of the cross and believe that what he suffered was for you and you deserved it. But your salvation doesn't occur until you admit that that death is what you deserve and that he died for you personally. And the one who is who does this is received by Jesus. Is received by Him. He says, the Father gave them to me and I'll cast none of them out. He's received by Jesus. And they become a complete child of God forever. No improvement necessary. And then you're given the Holy Spirit. Wow. This just keeps going, doesn't it? Like a down payment or an earnest or uh, earnest money or something because we can't fully realize in these sinful bodies all that God has for us. We can read about it, but we still don't know everything that's going to be like. But He gave us the Spirit to show us that this is all a gift and I love you and I want you to have it. But Lord, I'm so sinful. I love you and I want you to have it. But Lord, I'm so stupid. Lord, I love you. And I want you to have this. Why me? I don't know. I can't, I have no idea why me. I just am so thankful that God's grace was revealed to me in my heart so that I could bow my knees to the Savior and trust Him to receive me. And then submit to His authority. Whatever authority he places over me and his own authority himself. Whether employers or government officials or teachers or husbands or pastors, elders, deacons, whatever it is. God placed those people there. So this passage is really saying that, yeah, it looks like it's about husband and wife. It's really about Christ and his church. (laughs) So this is the nature of the church. We are basically, our nature is to be submissive. And you know that's a lie. That's what it's supposed to be. But we're not that way, are we? So let me ask you this as we close. God ordained certain people to lead, guide, preach, teach, whatever, for your benefit. Are you a complainer? Or a honker? Huh? Honk. Oh. Well, praise God. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word, especially for your son. And Lord, when we praise him, we're honking at him. We, we know that he's going to be there. Every time he says, I'll never leave you. I'll always be out front. I'll always been, be wind drafting you. Just follow me. But, Lord, you've given husbands the responsibility and parents over children to lead and guide and admonish and build up and encourage and even discipline And you've done that to leaders in the church. And in other ways, Lord, we're even told in Romans 13 to be careful about not rebelling against government authorities because they bear not the sword in vain. We're not carrying swords. But we love each other here because you put that love in us. Help us to love each other more. Help us to honk at the leaders. All of them, not just the pastor, all of the leaders here. Give them a good honk. And that isn't literally a honk, but Lord, to come up and say, you're doing a good job, keep it up. Keep it up. I think that's what real submission is, Lord. And I thank you for this church. I am so excited about being a part of a place that where the people gather together in unity and seek to glorify you. We don't do it perfectly, Lord. We still have problems, but we thank you that you have dealt with the thing that caused us to be separated from you through your Son, Jesus. Amen. By the way, pastors and elders, you're supposed to honk right back.